Good morning, Midland Free. Boy, it's good to hear all of your chatter this morning. You guys are much more awake than the first service. I'm super excited about that. My name is Jeremy. Welcome here. We're delighted you're here to worship with us in our church. We're going through our Christmas sermon series. And what that means is we're basically working our way up to the first Christmas. So we started with the first promise, then we went with the first family, and today we're going with the first forerunner. Now that may sound like, what's a forerunner? Don't worry, you got this, we'll get there in just a minute. But let me tell you a little story before we begin this sermon, and I want to ask this question just to see if I'm connecting this morning. How many of you are planning on traveling in the next couple of weeks? Next month. Have ever traveled any time ever? <laughs> okay, good. I'm totally connecting. Great. I'm good. Um, when I was in college, I worked one of these jobs where I ran into a lot of travelers. It's a job like a lot of college students do. Some odd job at some odd time in order to make very little money. And mine happened to be a hotel front desk reservation clerk slash anything and everything in the middle of the night when anyone needed it. Well, as it turns out, one of the interesting things about working downtown at a convention center in a larger city is you just never know who's going to walk through your front door. How many of you are fans of WWF? Anybody? Okay, I'm not connecting anymore. (laughs) All right, there's this wrestler, a big guy, and his name is the Hulk. That's one. I Back in the day, it was The Rock. Does anybody know this guy? Okay, one night, The Rock walked in. The Rock walked in. And in fact, if you don't know wrestling, that's okay if you're into the outdoors. There was another person who walked in. His name was Mr. Buck of, like, Buck Knives. <laughs> like, Buck? You, Buck? <laughs> It was the buck of Buck Knives. In fact, if you don't know Buck Knives and you don't know wrestling, maybe you've read the news, for example, the New York Times or something like that, and you've heard about these famous families. These families that live in New York. I'm actually serious. In the place where I worked, there was a um, level five federal medical penitentiary. And what that means is, basically, it's a top security prison, which there's a few of those. But there's very few top security medical penitentiaries where they can actually provide, like, full-scale health care for very high-profile criminals. So as a result, not only did I check in The Rock, not only did I check in Mr. Buck, but I actually checked in a couple... Infamous families as well. And I'm not going to say any names because I want to live to see you next week. <laughs> it's actually true. It was ironic. I was on the phone with one of them and they had, and the hotel management had prepped me on this. And I just totally forgot because they coach you. They, they make you memorize what you're supposed to say on these sales calls. And here's the thing. On one of these sales calls, like if you get it right, you go through eight steps like to make sure the person who's calling has every opportunity to book their reservation. You know, it's like, oh, you don't want to stay here for that much? Don't worry. I can do better. Oh, how about a free mint on your pillow? Would that convince you? And you go through them and you go through them and you go through them. And if you go through them and you get them all, 
you know, then you get like 20 bucks extra on your paycheck, which for a college student is making like $6 an hour was like awesome. So we were going for that. So anyone who calls, I'm like, Ooh, can I get a credit card? Can I get a credit card? Can I get a credit card? Well, they had, I, that was in my mind. They had prepped us. So these families, they don't use credit cards. <laughs> Everything is cash. And let me tell you, there's cash everywhere. Bellboy, hundred bucks, you know, check in hundred bucks. They're cash everywhere. So I got this guy, he calls me, he's like, hey, I need to make a reservation. I'm not kidding. You're laughing, but I'm dead serious. I'm like, okay, can I get a credit? Oh, no, no problem. Yes, sir. Right away. Anything you need. Got it. And here's the thing about working at the hotel. You never know who's going to walk in that door. And so you want to be ready. In fact, the management had coached you in such a way that they had it in your brain that If you do things right, when so-and-so walks in the door, you're going to get rewarded. But if you mess up that call, they have a record of it. You're on, you're recorded. And guess whose voice is going to show up in the team meeting at the next conversation? You better make sure you got all that right. And today what we're going to do is not make hotel reservations, but we are going to look at Three ways in which the Bible tells us to make ourselves ready because we never know who's going to walk through our door. We have no idea when Christ is going to come back. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. But we know this. When he does, we had better be ready because either it's going to be reward or it's going to be punishment. And I want it to be a reward. You want it to be a reward. So let's see what the Lord tells us to do in order to make sure that we're doing the right thing when he comes back. We're going to look at a compilation of scriptures this morning. And um, those scriptures are going to be back and forth. So it'll probably be easiest for you just to listen and also look up on the screen. The first few I'm going to just plain read. And then the next you can look at as well. But this is the forerunner who came the before Christ's first coming to get those people ready. And then what we see is the same way that they prepared for Christ's coming is the way that we need to prepare for Christ's coming as well. So Luke chapter 1 says this. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Listen to this. This is pretty cool to be said of one couple. They were both righteous. Walking blamelessly before the Lord in all of his commandments and statutes. But even though they were righteous, they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren and both of them were advanced in years. A lot like that other family we looked at last week. Now the angel said to them, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John, which means Yehovah has shown grace. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he, John, will do three things. He will be great before the Lord. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, that is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient of the wisdom to the wisdom of the just and make ready, get ready 
for the Lord, a prepared people. So on the screen, there was this man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear, uh, a, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, John was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. True light was about to come. Why do we have Christmas lights up? What is the big deal behind all the lights? Is it just because it's dark? No, we're celebrating the light of the world. Here's this John. He is a voice, a prophet, a weird one, a wizard, some crazy eccentric fellow with long hair, crazy food and weird clothes out in the wilderness, crying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, what's interesting about this guy is, besides the fact that he looks like crazy, he is a very vivid preacher and prophet and speaker. He uses a ton of imagery. It's dramatic and it's bold. And so as we read through these next few verses, I want to make a few of these images pop. And that's what we'll use as our structure for today's sermon. These three images, which show us how to get ready for the next arrival of the coming king. They are these. Here are the images. Number one, the snake. Number two, the axe. And number three, the sunrise. Today, in this passage that John is about to share with us, we have a snake, an axe, and a sunrise. Watch for it. So John is crying out in the wilderness. And as a result of the snake and the axe and the sunrise, this is what will happen. All flesh will see the salvation of God because of the snake, the axe, and the sunrise. And this is how John began his sermon. Therefore, the crowds came out to be baptized. And he said, you brood of vipers. Welcome to Midland Free. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. I'm too glad I start my sermon like that. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is his main message. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, to raise up children from Abraham. Here's the next image. Even now, the acts is laid to the root of the tree. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? John answered him, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And John said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to. Soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? And John said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether or not he may be the Christ, John answered them saying, look, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff. He will burn with unquenchable fire. 
So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Good news. Brood of vipers, winnowing fork, chaff, fire, axe, destruction, judgment. Is that good news? Change the channel. I want something more positive. Let's see how this works. Number one, the snake, the snake brood of vipers. He calls them the snake. Here's the deal. We started in Genesis chapter three with this sermon, and we tried to make it very clear to say, look, one of the foundational principles that you have to understand about Christianity and humanity and the Bible and all this stuff is that people sin. People sin, people mess up, people are imperfect, people blow it all the time. Don't raise your hands, but realistically, is there anyone in here who thinks they're perfect? No, of course not. Here's what Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we'll leave that up there for just a second, because I want you to see this. The word fall short is underlined, and that's important, because what happens is this. We use this Christian word sin, and if you're not familiar with God and church and Jesus and all these other things, you're like, sin, maybe that's just some preacher's word to sort of, you know, get a little more in the offering plate or something, make you feel guilty. No! That's the reality of our existence. That's why you hurt and I hurt. That's why people do bad things. Sin. It's bad. It makes us miserable. And all of us do it. All have, fallen, all have sinned and fallen short. And the word fall short simply means this. It is taken from the imagery of archery. So if you're out there and you're warming up for deer season and you've got your little squishy deer over there and you're trying to hit it and your arrow falls short, if you were speaking Greek, you would use the same word for falling short that you would for sin. Same word. All it means is to come short of something. So when the Bible says all of sin, it follows it immediately with fall short because it wants you to get the idea that sin is basically falling short of God's perfection. God is infinite. He is perfect. He is good. He is righteous in all that he does. And we're not. Everything we do falls short of that. Even on our best days, we're still self-interested and motivated by evil. But God is good. He's perfect. He's infinite. And so... No matter how hard we try, we can't hit that standard. It's like trying to throw a rock to hit the moon. That's never going to happen. We fall short all the time. And the Bible rubs it in a little more. It says not only do we fall short, but look, verse 23 of Romans 3.23, again, underlined, it says this. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, like all. We can't get away with saying, well, I'm not as bad as the next guy, or, you know, I pay my taxes, I'm a pretty good person, I do this, I do that. No. All of us are guilty of falling short of God's perfection. And First John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We have to be real, we have to be honest and say, look, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we all mess up. Therefore, because of sin... John the Baptist says to the crowds, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Because of sin, there's wrath. You see, if there wasn't, God would be unjust and there would be no hope for the future of the world. But the beauty of God and his perfection is that he cannot tolerate sin. So therefore, no evil deed ever goes unpunished. No evil deed ever goes unpunished. And that's an encouragement. That's why we can turn the other cheek. That's why we can forgive. That's why we can live by grace through faith. Because we know that we don't have to punish the person who did something bad to us. We can let God do that. And the way he does it is that he says either he's going to punish the person or he's going to punish the son. And it's really up to that person which one it's going to be. If you believe in Jesus, then God will take his wrath out that you deserved on his son. But if you don't, his wrath is coming for you. And that's why John starts out very stark and very clear. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't come up with a cute illustration. He just says, you brood of vipers. You evil, wicked, and sinful people. Amen? Amen. We're sinners. And we sin to prove it. We are very, very sinful. And as a result, there's judgment. So number one, the first picture, the first image that John brings forward is the image of the snake, the viper, the sin, the evil that's been besetting humanity from the foundation of the earth. Number one, sin. Number two, the next image, what was it? The axe. Luke 3, 9 says, even now, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree and every tree that does not bear good fruit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That did not happen in the first service. (laughs) I really went for it in this one. All right. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We look at axes and we look at firewood this time of year and we think, all right, this is going to be great. But the reality is when you bring up the word axe and fire, you're talking about judgment. And you go home thinking, oh, cool, Pastor Jeremy split word in church today. You missed the point. Axe is not there as an encouragement. The axe is there to bring the idea of judgment. For that wood is not a good thing that it's about to be split and thrown into the fire. And here's what happens to those who are under condemnation and judgment of God's sin. Don't believe me? Ask Jesus. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and following. Then I saw a great white throne and him, that's Jesus, who is seated on it. Listen to this description. It's so beautiful. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Earth And sky flee from his presence. 
He is that powerful. He's that beautiful. He's that scary. He is that strong that no place can be found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. There's the snake, which is sin. And there is the axe, which is judgment. And the Bible warns us that even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. So what do we do? How do we prepare? The prophet has come. He's warning us to get ready. We never know who's going to walk in through that door. Fortunately, there's image number three. The sunrise, the sunrise. Luke chapter one, verse 67 says this. There is hope. There is hope. John's father was filled with the Holy Spirit and he got to prophesy. And he says this. You, my child, will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation. Salvation from what? From judgment. There is no need for Jesus if there is no judgment. Christmas doesn't happen without a cross. Why would God send his son to endure the most terrible death ever if we're all okay? The only reason Jesus came was to die. Because we deserved it. He came to give knowledge of salvation his people and bless God the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of God whereby the sun will arise and visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and guide our feet in the ways of peace The snake, the axe, and the sunrise. Sin, judgment, and salvation. There is hope then, and what do we do? Well, it tells us, John tells us, repent. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Now, wait. How many of us are perfect? How many of us then need to repent? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we confess, if, did you hear that? If we confess. What does that presuppose? It presupposes that you confess. 
If you think you're okay, if you've never confessed, you're in trouble and there's judgment. And let me just stop this sermon right now. I don't know if there's who's in this building and who's not. But if there's someone in this church who has never confessed Jesus as your Savior, do it now. Like right now. Like don't wait till after the service. Don't wait to talk to me. Don't wait to talk to anyone else. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and his death, burial, and resurrection because you need a Savior. And so do I. And so does the Pope. And so does Superman. Everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. We all need a Savior. So number one, if if some if Jesus is coming, get ready by repenting and asking him to forgive you for your sins. And if you've done that for the first time, it doesn't mean you've done it for the last. You keep repenting. So every day we get we have another opportunity to prove we're sinners. And we need to repent. But here's the encouraging thing. Here's the sunrise. Here's the sunlight. Second Corinthians 7, 1 says, here's a promise. We have these promises. Beloved, once you've repented, you're not under wrath. You are beloved. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Confess your sins and you'll be made right. Number one, confess. What do we do to get ready? We confess. Number two, what do we do? We got to be about the master's business. If he comes and we're laying down on the job or sleeping on the couch or not proclaiming the gospel, he's going to say, you wicked and lazy servants, what are you doing? You had this treasure in jars of clay and you just snuffed it. Boy, am I mixing a lot of metaphors there. Look here. Be about his business. What is What characterizes John the Baptist? John the Baptist is a man who is characterized by devotion and surrender. Yeah, he's got crazy hair because he doesn't care. Yeah, he's got a long beard because he doesn't care. Yeah, he eats weird food because he doesn't care. Yeah, he dresses weird because he doesn't care. But when it comes to Jesus, he cares more than anything. So much so that he's willing to go under the axe. John the Baptist did not make any friends with the way he said things. And as a result, he gave his life. But he is the same one who Jesus said, there is no other man better born of a woman. Obviously, Jesus wasn't too concerned about the hair, the clothes, the food or anything else. What mattered was he was surrendered and devoted, completely passionate When he blasts people, when John the Baptist blasts people, he blasts me. He says, you double-minded. What does that mean? You speak out two sides of your mouth. You you think about Jesus, and then you go do something else. And you think about Jesus for a second, and then you think about something else. We're all double-minded. But John wasn't. He was single-minded, devoted, fully surrendered to Christ. Number one, confess our sins. Number two, be about the master's business. And number three, Love the Lord's appearing. Eagerly wait. Keep the oil in your lamps. Don't get caught off guard. Be ready. The master is on his way. Now I sit here and say that, and I know, because I've experienced a little bit of struggle at times myself, you know, the preacher gets up and says, hey, 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 be ready. Jesus could come back today. Come back. He could come back. Are you ready? Where is it? And he doesn't. And wait another day and wait another day and wait another day. All of a sudden, you look at history and you realize, wow, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said he's going to come back soon. Well, it doesn't seem like soon. But you've got to remember what Second Peter says. He says, hey, look, 
These are the predictions of the holy prophets in 2 Peter 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. For the God who created the universe and set the earth to go around the sun, he's not counting the same way we are. He's not sitting on this little blue ball going, oh, one, day, night, oh, two. He sits way outside of that. So he's not in a hurry. He's not late. He's not early. He's not worried. He's right on time. And just like the appointment of John the Baptist and the appointment of Jesus Christ, so too the appointment of his second coming. He will come right on time. And you need to be glad and be aware that when he does, judgment is coming. And therefore, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. The reason he hasn't come back yet is because he is patient. He's holding off his judgment Give more people the opportunity to repent. That's why the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few and the need is urgent. We need to go now because judgment is coming. But God is holding it back, giving one more chance, one more chance, one more chance for people to repent. But when he comes back, no more chances. And it's done. It's over. And then that Revelation 20 comes back in and you go one way or the other. Here's the thing. Look, church, there is sin, there's judgment, and there's salvation. God offers it, and he promises it if we confess and repent and believe in him. We need to do that. Be about his business, look forward to his appearing, and be patient towards his coming. He's not slow. He's not delayed. He's not late. He's right on time. The acts... Is that the root of the tree? Get ready for Christ's return. Sin, judgment, salvation, snake, axe, sunrise. Since then, we have these promises. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement, of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And then you can say with the saints and mean it when you're ready. Believing what Jesus told us. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Behold, he is coming soon, bringing his recompense with him to repay each one for what they have done. Father, we thank you and praise you that Jesus is coming again. Lord, I admit many times I'm not ready. I'm thinking about the wrong stuff. I'm distracted. I'm on with something else. I pray, God, you just help me to be all about you. You would change my desires and change my heart, that you would remind me of your beauty and all-surpassing worth, that even the earth and sky flee from your presence. God, if there's a simple offering, if there's a little gift, if there's anything we can do to be a blessing to you, we pray that you'd help us to do that. 
In Jesus' name, amen.